the show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door, where truth drops like an atom bomb and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week, we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, and thanks again for listening. Here on the Healthcare Wrap, we believe that the healthcare experience has to change, and we're trying to do something about it. If you want to help healthcare be more about consumers and innovation, this is the place for you. We're going to help you find your place in the digital transformation movement, and you're going to be one of the ones leading meaningful change. We can either stand back and let it take another 50 years, or we can jump in right now. And I think you know how we roll. We're not going to coast in neutral. We're hitting the gas. Each week, we speak with leaders who are part of the digital transformation movement. We share tips on shifting the way that healthcare is experienced digitally and the backstage strategies for marketing operations and digital teams to stay ahead of the curve. This is episode number 148. We're now in season five, which is our quest to answer whether it's even possible to provide the healthcare experience that consumers desire. There's a lot of work to do, so it's time to get fired up. Before we launch this rocket ship into orbit, I want to give a quick shout out to the crew at Jennings Healthcare Marketing and their video series on the Shift.Health content network called Marketing for Better Health. It's a greatest hits collection of videos by Dan Dunlop that provide tips for post-pandemic planning, addressing consumer fears, using effective content marketing to improve community health, and so much more. The first two seasons are available on demand at Shift.Health, so go check that out. The series, again, is called Marketing for Better Health. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about managing results, not platforms. Can we create connected experiences when everyone is focused on a single platform? I'll talk about that. Then Zane and I are going to dive into combating health misinformation. And finally, Dr. Austin Chang joins the conversation to give us the lowdown on how health information needs to reach people where they are and people are on social media. It's time to dive right in. You ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. Imagine what can happen when we start seeing ourselves as managing results, not platforms. 2020 marked the end of a decade-long period in which MarTech teams focused their time on learning the rules of engagement for platforms, such as social media, mobile apps, and responsive web design. It was an adrenaline rush, but looking back, it was kind of fun to be the tip of the spear. As soon as we figured out what to do with an iPhone app, we turned around and saw that Android was becoming the mobile OS of choice. As soon as we got the basics down on Facebook, the wall became the timeline. This era taught us that digital engagement had to become the center of brands' existence, not just a bolt-on strategy. We learned a lot of platforms and channels really quickly, so much so, in fact, that we created silos of expertise around each one. But now here we are, and those silos are a problem because a single platform doesn't meet complex consumer needs anymore. In order to meet consumers where they are, our digital focus must be on creating connected experiences. This is a shift in thinking, and this requires us to change our mindsets about our roles. Rather than thinking of ourselves as managing a certain platform, we need to understand that we are all responsible for the results of the entire experience. 
Creating connected experiences means designing with more empathy. It requires starting the design process with the consumer, not running it by them as an afterthought. Creating connected experiences means no longer trying to have all the magic happen on one platform and bring everyone to one destination. It means meeting everyone where they are and syncing data across all platforms. This is how to create a competitive advantage in the post-pandemic world, and there's no looking back. Moving forward, I hope we hear the term connected experiences a lot more. I hope we stop thinking about platforms in a linear way as if technology is the answer. Because we've let the tech that powers our brand experiences outpace our understanding of how to use them. I keep referring to it as having Ferraris in the garage. Your CMS, CRM, EHR, and marketing automation platforms likely have more horsepower under the hood than ever before. Now it's time to learn how to drive. And that's the flavor of the Week. All right, Zane's in the house again with me this week. Zane, it's a pleasure as always. How are you? Good, Jared. It's good to be back. I'm keeping um, surviving through this pandemic. I'm sure you are too. Yes, yes. And the fact that we don't know how long COVID's going to be in the picture, it's always just that, like that number one variable here. If we knew, hey, yeah, hey, look, we've got six more months of things being crazy and then, hey, vaccines are going to you know make a difference or, or whatever. I, if we just knew... Anything about the timetable, it just seems like the, I mean, very clearly, the stress level across America, across Canada, across the world, we'd ratchet down a little bit. Absolutely. Well, I mean, me personally, like I'm feeling a little bit less stressed, so happy to report. And I don't know if I've shared with our listeners yet, but I got my second vaccine today. And so I think 21 days from now, I should be, I don't want to say home free, but closer to home and a little bit more free. Hey, that's that's uh, that's welcome news on this program. So that's that's great. Absolutely. Well, hey, let's start as usual with the latest awesome thing you've heard about. Uh, you've been a book recently caught your attention from what I remember. What's that book? Yeah, so I started reading um, a book called Corporate Rebels Make Work Fun. And so it's by, I think I'm pronouncing it right. I think they're Spanish by a guy named Yust Minar and Pim DeMore. And so I found about this book through a friend of mine, Stephen. He works for the NHS over in the UK. And he raves about, you know, how do we fight the corporate beast? And, you know, he's one of those leaders who's really trying to do things differently. And he found this book and he recommended it to me and a bunch of classmates that we have in common. So I'm reading through it. It's all about sort of sort of what it says, how to make work fun. But basically what this the authors have done is they've traveled around the world and interviewed and met with some of the most innovative companies, not necessarily because they make great products, but innovative in terms of their culture and how they operate and what their leadership structures look like or or what they don't look like. And they've summarized all of their learnings into this book. And the more I read it too, the more I realize it's less of a book and also more of a movement. And so they have a lot of influencers that have joined them and they have a list of what they call rebels. So um, I'm excited to read it. And then I'm excited to to see how some of these concepts can ultimately translate into healthcare. And I'll certainly share them with you. Because as you know, a lot of the innovation and service design and things that we talked about are underpinned on proper culture and organizations. And so I'm hoping to learn a lot and share it with you. Likewise, likewise. Well, Zane, so today we're talking about health misinformation. We're talking about building trust in our brands. And I think we both have a lot to a lot of thoughts on this one. Let me attempt at least to to get us going here with what I feel like is the status quo of 
health information and whose role is it to provide good health information. And I'm going to set a baseline here because many years ago, I had people who have been listening to me for this whole journey. I may have heard me talk about Dr. Justin Smith, who's on Twitter at the Doc Smitty. He's on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, he, he's everywhere. But Dr. Smith is a general pediatrician out at Cook Children's out in Fort Worth. And the amazing thing, the leadership that he has shown for his entire stint there at Cook Children's is remarkable because Dr. Smith knows where people look for information. Mm. He is not stuck in this line of thought of, hey, I told you that one thing. It was in an email buried way down there. He actively goes to the places where people are looking for information. And so, of course, there's there's some uniqueness with the fact when you're dealing with parents of young children, because it's a little easier to actually segment that demographic in, in our marketing terms, right? <laughs> but to narrow down who you're talking to most frequently. And in his case, he knows what's valuable, where it comes from, and how it needs to sound and look and feel and, and, and how to build trust in just basic information. So he, he has done things as it might not sound like rocket science, but to some it will. So when you are a parent and you're, you're going to bring your child in, you're scheduled for your child's three-month checkup. If you're Dr. Smith's patient, then you're going to get notified of, hey, by the way, I did a, an Instagram story on what questions I'm going to ask you, what I'm going to check at that three-month appointment. Here, it's in my highlights on my Instagram. Here's the <laughs> link. And he does the same thing for six months, for 12 months. And it's remarkable. It's like two-minute story talking about whatever. And it's amazing. When you walk in and you feel informed as a parent, you walk into his office for that appointment. You're like, yeah, I already know the deal. Like, hey, here, thanks for telling me that. Yeah, I did want to ask you about this thing from a commonplace experience of like, hey doc, I've only been in here like four minutes and it looks like you're already like itching to go. Like I have some questions, you know, my kid is developing, you know, like I just want to make sure that things aren't weird. So there are folks like that, like like Dr. Smith, uh, the doc Smitty out there who, who get it. Like they just understand. And years ago I was speaking with him and I actually had him on, on a previous podcast and he talked about health and misinformation. And he sure. said, hey, listen, he said, I talk to my, my doctor colleagues all the time. And this was many years ago. And I've, I've actually talked to him recently and said this has changed a bit. But back then, at least, he said there were so many who would just complain. They say, my patients are actually Googling things. I can't believe they're doing that. I'm telling them to not Google it because they're going to hear terrible things. And his comment was to his own colleagues, says, you can't complain about the bad information when you're not putting out good information. That's and good. like that thought in and of itself has stuck with me over the years. And I've thought, so he sees it as an obligation. He doesn't That's just really see good. it as, hey, this makes things easier for me in my appointments. He's like, this is my obligation. Like this is yep. part of my, my calling as a doctor, as a clinician yep. to do that. So yep. that's just a, a place for me to start the conversation. Yeah, I mean, to your point, Ben, it's like, so how then wherever perceived misinformation is being spread, the opportunity then is for healthcare providers or the authority in the room to figure out where that is and try to be a voice in which that community where it's being spread. That's how I see it. Maybe a tangential example, back in 2013, I was working for a hospital in Canada and they currently weren't on social media, believe it or not, not Facebook, not Twitter. And I stood before the board of directors and tried to convince them to get 
to approve for us to open up social media accounts, right? Silly, I know, looking back on it. But the slide that finally got them to say yes is I went onto Google, or sorry, I went onto Twitter, went onto Facebook, and I said, and I pulled all the negative comments and slanderous comments, I should say, that were being made about the hospital, and I posted them all. I did like a word mashup. And I said, guys, we have an opportunity. Either we can la- allow this conversation to happen about us, or, you know, uncontested, or we can get on to, into these communities and share our version of what's actually going on in the truth and influence this conversation. And that's when they finally said yes. And so in the same way, you know, for all those traditional people in healthcare, you know, who don't want people to go online, you know, are afraid of misinformation, afraid of these digital communities where they lurk, the opportunity is to then go on there and go tell the truth, right? Or your version of the truth, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. And I think we're we're aligned there in that you're going to address it differently if you see it as an obligation as an op- and an opportunity. Mm-hmm. If you just see it as, like, I just need to shut this down. I need people to stop Googling things. Well, right. that's what we're all going to do. Like, right. <laughs> that's the reality. That's still very much the commonplace mentality in the medical community. And so that's, I'd consider that's part of the status quo. That That's the challenge we're dealing with here. And if we're thinking about how, how do we change it? Like, how do we convince clinicians to put out good information. I don't think it has to be that that hard. I've seen it work really well. I've seen it turn into at a children's hospital, a weekly Q&A Facebook Live. I mean, this is years ago, mm-hmm. right? But, a, but a, a weekly Q&A, 25 to 30 minutes with a doctor of a certain specialty and promoting it, letting people know, hey, that during this time, this doctor is going to be available to answer whatever questions. This is going to save you the chance of having to come into the doctor and to the office and have that one question answered. Just, you know, here's an opportunity, like it's it's open mic, basically, you know, with some parameters, but making it clear, like, we want to communicate with you. It sent such a different message mm-hmm. than, hey, don't ask anybody, like, we're the authority, how dare you challenge me? And that message, I think that it sends across to people is just as important as the information itself. Absolutely. You know, I've seen that play out well, like these Facebook lives or live webcasts, you know, obviously blog posts, which are a little bit old now, but, you know, getting the right information out there on, you know, so upping your content marketing. Um, the other thing I'm really starting to see too, and we saw this a lot with COVID actually to dispel false information about that is the use of chat bots where, you know, people can, you know, come to your health system website, ask questions and the chat bot actually directs them to a quote reputable and authoritarian resource. And so I've seen that. And then finally, per our last podcast, I'd say go to Clubhouse. There's tons of opportunity there for physicians in the medical community to build a following, to talk about the truth behind science. Oh my gosh. You're telling me if I was a doctor right now, I would go on there and I would I would be the one to create the channel about like to be the trusted source on whatever, on I, endocrine, dermatology, podiatry, whatever it is. But like I'd be there right now. It'd be a great opportunity while it's still a new app and the community's still building. No, people underestimate that about all social media. And I think that's one of the strengths of it. But like if you try, you just gave a perfect example of like blog posts. Yeah, they could work right now, <laughs> you know, but like 10 or 12 years ago, they worked for most people with with less effort because just they're, they weren't saturated yet. There weren't as many millions of, their, of them as there are now. Whereas if you tried to start a blog right now from scratch and try to 
develop it into the authority on the subject, 99% of us are, are going to fail at that. And it's because that, that platform, it's so saturated. So many have been able to do that. And so many have been able to keep ahead of the game when it comes to SEO. Uh, so they are ranking now and, and they're, mm-hmm. they're kind of the king of the mountain there. So it's, it's another factor, I guess. Yeah. I mean, to me, probably the best way is just the most human way. So really to, to have a real conversation. So if, it, if it's through, whether it's a phone call or, you know, live audio, like we're doing now, that to me can move mountains and do wonders. Because I think what we really need, especially in this season to dispel um, some of the false information that's out there is really empathy. And the reason why I say that is partly inspired by a friend of mine. His name's Trevor Johnson. He's very passionate about community health and he's actually a farmer. And so he takes a really interesting lens when it comes to community health. And the other day we're having a conversation. He said, you know, Zane, and for whatever reason, this was just really profound. But he said, everyone in their mind is responding in a rational way. You just have to figure out what is it that they're thinking that's influencing their decisions. And we're talking about that within the context in the context of vaccine hesitancy. And so what he's saying is, you know, you really need to be empathetic when you're talking to people who, who may not want to take a vaccine or who seriously question whether COVID's dangerous enough to understand where they're coming from. So you can actually get at the root of whatever it is that's causing their hesitancy or, or their belief in false information. And so I think the best way to do that is just through an actual discussion through some, whether it's live feed, video or audio. Yeah, I don't think uh, empathy ever loses. Empathy always wins. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's a great part. So then what are some other opportunities to innovate here? My thought here is we have to make sure we always draw the line between providing the good information, like correct, accurate, trusted health information with building trust in our brands. Because there is absolutely a line between the two. It is not just a, well... That's just my opinion. So that's the information I'm going to share about this condition or, you know, or this procedure you have coming up. But the opportunity to build trust in our brands is just, that's the currency for the next decade, at least. hundred percent. And, you know, I think healthcare, especially as we start to come out of COVID, if, if we can already start to say that, we're going to have some reconciling to do. Here's how I'm thinking about it. And maybe this is me getting too political or, or being too honest, but again, I don't want to get too political, but I see a lot of people get angry with health systems and health leaders when they talk about lockdowns. And so in Canada, for example, in Ontario, where I live, we're currently under like a stay-at-home order and a lockdown. And, and some people get very frustrated, understandably so, especially if they're a business owner. And I was having a conversation with a friend the other day who, who brought out this concept that I didn't, never even thought about. But the same leaders who are pushing for these lockdowns, again, I, I actually believe the science says they work. So I don't have a political dog in that fight. But these same leaders who push for those for these lockdowns are also the ones who two years ago you would have found on a um, you know at any healthcare conference talking about quote the social determinants of health, with food, housing, and security being all all the things that contribute to that. And so what I'm seeing is like there's like you know people are calling people out for their call it supposed hypocrisy. Where on one end healthcare said you know we believe in sort of the holistic view of healthcare, which includes making sure you have access to a job, making sure you have access to housing. But now 
on this end through this pandemic, you're saying, no, 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 we need to shut down the economy. You know, we need to close everything down, which frankly has had health impacts on people. And so I've seen a lot of credibility and trust be destroyed through that conversation alone. The other thing too that, and this goes back to my empathy, my empathy comment is we need to really have empathy and understand understand where people are coming from. And so if you think about 10 years back, you know, as trust in public institutions, especially healthcare started to erode. And then when you sort of juxtapose that onto how quickly we came up with these vaccines. And so in what, six, seven, eight months, there's incredible partnerships between public sector, private sector across the globe and call it that collaboration is now being interpreted as collusion and not collaboration towards some perceived nefarious outcome. And so we really need to have, we really, we really need to, I think, be patient with people and be empathetic and understanding when they do come to us with false information. And instead of smacking them over the head and saying, this is wrong, what might be a better approach is to say, okay, help me understand or help me help me understand why you think this information is factual. Let me show you why I think it's different, but really just coming at, coming at it with the right heart space so that you're not alienating them even further or further reinforcing what they might already believe about you. And that is to be untrustworthy and just trying to push some political narrative. I see a big difference there. And I've, I've seen that not necessarily with health information, but I've seen it just on other topics as we can mm. probably guess, you know, the, on things that we, that not everyone in, on the planet agrees on, you know, the different topics. It's nice to see that that really can make a difference. The way that we approach it and we are not being accusatory where we're not being defensive right off the bat when it's like, help me understand. Like that phrase, help me understand where you're coming from. That will always win. That will always Absolutely. Just, like, get us to where we need to go a little faster. And I, I, I love that thought. And you know, the other thing I'm seeing too is there's been a lot of like unofficial communicators. So there's, I'll have to send you the link, but there's a couple Instagram Instagrams that I follow that have been like really good at just, you know, simplifying and breaking down some of the science and some of the data around COVID, especially. And these aren't necessarily institutions. They're just maybe, you know, public health professionals who are passionate, who've developed, call it these brands and these followings of their own to really bring clarity to the situation. And so that's kind of been a cool innovation within sort of this COVID world that we've been living in is just call it these unofficial communicators and pseudo experts who who do speak, you know, from credible sources, sort of repackage the information in a way that's actually approachable. Because I think one of the biggest challenges we've had we've had over the last year is a lot of the information that is being put out there is very sciencey. It's very technical. It's very deep. And as you know, Jared, as a professional communicator, that stuff isn't easily absorbed by your everyday person. And so you almost need um, a team of intermediaries that can boil that stuff down to its essence and present it in a way both written and visually and call it audio and video that's actually absorbable and appropriate for the audience. I so agree. The, the most confident I felt about vaccinations came after I read a a Facebook post from a personal friend who is a pediatrician across the country. He's in Minnesota. I'm in Arizona, right? But he just posted, hey, so just going to share this as a person and as a, you know, as a medical professional, here's what I've learned about vaccines so far. This was back in December. So right after, I believe it was right after the emergency use authorization whatever the acronym is. EUA. <laughs> yes, thank you. As soon as that, uh, I think it was right after that was granted or it was within a couple of days of it. But he just said, so 
you know, I, I feel a personal responsibility to have learned as much as I can about the vaccines. Here's what I've learned. I attended such and such session from the CDC where they actually shared the primary data from the clinical trials to that point. You know, the, the, what were they actually being what was actually being shared when the emergency uh, use was being considered. And he's like, so I heard it straight from the source. And then here's all the other research I did. And I've concluded, you know, that these vaccines are not only safe, but like they're, this is what's going to help us end this pandemic. So he's like, that's just my personal opinion, but take it for what it's worth. But he boiled it down so quickly and easily and simply that I thought, you know what? That's all I need to hear. I don't know what he thinks about other anything else in the medical field. And I'm fine with that. But he just boiled this down. Hey, as a reasonable human being, after learning all these things, you know, I plan to get my vaccine. And he just thought of it that way, which in my mind, that kind of leads me to what our call to action is today as we kind of wrap up, which is, you know, we always think, hey, what's a tactical step that leaders can take in this direction? And this kind of led me to that encounter uh, led me to just think of this strategy that that I've brought up uh, at, at times when it makes sense to really address the reality that not every clinician is going to be good at this. Sure. <laughs> About, like to your point, some are going to be too scientific in their communications. Yep. Uh, they're just used to a, a fully peer-to-peer audience. Great. You mm-hmm. know, leverage that in, in its own way. But when we're talking about providing accurate health information to the masses, then there are those in any health system, I would guess it's just a rule of thumb for me, I'd guess it's probably 20% of any, yeah, of any medical staff are probably really good at it and uh, motivated to do it, to to publish information. They're the ones who do post on Instagram or have a blog or a podcast or whatever. But there, there's a subset, pretty much every health system and every health organization that are the ones to, to really lean into. And so, you know, let's not waste our time trying to make every medical, like everyone a medical expert. Let's lean right. to the ones who are going to be good at it and are motivated to do it anyway. Yeah. And let's, let's turn them into the spokespeople for the organization. Not only that, but for the community, like make yeah. them a local expert, but don't make it everybody because like that's just barking up the wrong tree. Completely agree. So I teach uh, like a how to pitch a startup class as part of uh, this group. I'm part of Hacking Health. And that's one of the principles we talk about. We call it pick your stars. And so we remind teams that participate in our hackathons that not everyone has to speak because not everyone's good at it. And that's fine. Just find the right person on your team who's good, eloquent enough, dynamic enough, charismatic enough to deliver the message. And that's good enough. Excellent. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, Zane, uh, we've got, we've given people a lot to think about. Any final words here? Well, maybe to answer your question, like one thing that I think, you know, that leaders can really focus on and maybe try to get better at is just be comfortable and willing to say when you're not sure, when you don't know. I've personally felt, you know, that people standing before me who are humble enough, mature enough to admit when they don't know something, for me, that makes me see them as credible. Because there's nothing worse than someone who claims to know it all and you know they can't possibly. And so the more you're just transparent to say, you know, for this specific thing, we don't know yet, or I don't know, to me, that helps establish the trust and the credibility. So many vendors, so little time Expecting me to know them all is practically a crime But it's what my job's about yeah. It makes me want to shout yeah. I need some help deciding who to use without a doubt Something everyone wants Like a secret decoder Something everyone needs Like your own baby Yoda Help me to choose I can't afford to lose Isn't there a website that I really ought to use? Martech.health Martech.health 
Do yourself a favor, check it out for yourself. Need to find a vendor? This is the way. Martech.health, who you gonna pick today? Martech.health is the vendor directory built specifically for healthcare marketing, communications, and digital professionals. People like you. Founded and run by the OG himself, Healthcare Internet Hall of Famer Ed Bennett. It's designed to make your next vendor selection process less painful. And here's why. Over 600 vendors across 40 industry categories, verified vendor reviews and ratings from your peers, a resource library of articles, videos, and events, plus an anonymous messaging tool to get your vendor questions answered without worrying about endless callbacks. All of this is free to use and share. Check it out at martech.health. All right, listeners, we've got a treat for you. We've got Dr. Austin Chang in the house. Dr. Chang is the Chief Medical Social Media Officer for Jefferson Health. It's a health system based in Philadelphia, if any of you are not familiar. Uh, But he was the first ever that we know of to hold this title. And needless to say, it's been quite a ride since we had you on the program a while back. It's been a minute. How are you doing? Yeah, it has. <laughs> I've been okay. I mean, the past year has been a little bit wild, right? It's been just a little for everyone. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> a little different from the usual. But no, it's been it's been a good time otherwise uh, in terms of like the social media front and whatnot. Well, as we as uh, we'll be saying uh, several times, you're fighting the good fight here, and we're going to keep offering you the encouragement that that hopefully uh, will help you continue doing what you're doing fighting health misinformation, sharing accurate information, just doing everything it it takes to help bring health information to the place where people are, which is on social media, among other things. I mean, being a practice gastroenterologist, I mean, like, it's not like, uh, I'm not sure when you sleep first and foremost. So we're (laughs) glad we got a few minutes with you. Yeah, Sometimes it's a little bit of a struggle trying to find time for that. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Well, we like to break the ice lately, Austin, with... So with uh, asking you, like, what's the latest awesome thing you've heard about or, or in your life or whatever? Just it doesn't have to even be healthcare related, but something awesome. So uh, Zane recently shared a clubhouse was like the the awesome, love, the, the latest awesome thing. I love clubhouse. I don't even watch Netflix <laughs> anymore. I'm just on it like two hours every night when I get home from work. <laughs> I mean, I have to agree to a certain extent. Like, so I, I have mixed feelings about clubhouse. I'm very, you know, I'm going into it with cautious optimism. But somehow I also end up on the app for hours on end. And the conversations are really engaging. But I also think that there is an element to it that I think is potentially dangerous because Mm -hmm. anyone can sort of position themselves as an authority on there. And there's already a lot of problems, I think, that have been covered, you know, publicly about the app so far. So, you know, I think that there's a role for it. I think that there's definite benefits to the app, but but we'll see where it goes. I mean, it's so fresh. I think it's even technically still in beta, but um, in any case, I mean, I know that there's over 2 million people on the app already, so who knows where it's going to go next. That's a good thought. I think that's really good for us to be eyes wide open when we're looking at it. If we're aware that that not all is always as it seems there. We just, yeah, we just got to proceed cautiously, yeah. I guess. And then it makes you think like Clubhouse came about during the pandemic and is it going to change after the pandemic, right? Sure. Like when we're able to actually interact with one another in person once again, is there going to be, how useful is Clubhouse really going to be sure. at that point? So we'll see, you know. 
That's a really good point. Well, we don't want to steal your thunder. So I know we introduced that clubhouse might be the coolest thing, but is there is there something <laughs> else that's even more cool that's come into your world? I mean, there are certain things that have kind of been on the horizon for a while in my field, like clinically in gastroenterology. Mm-hmm. Tell us like, about it. There are new devices and things like that. There's constantly new devices. And so that's exciting. I mean, I don't want to get too technical into GI stuff. And then like, you know, all these social media platforms really... I think what, what, why it's such an exciting time is because the pandemic in some ways has forced these social platforms to really adapt and introduce new features. And then suddenly there's a competition sure, sure. more than ever between these platforms to kind of offer the most. And it keeps it exciting, but it's also a lot and a little sure. overwhelming. Sure. Well, I think that's sort of a good segue then into sort of one of our first questions. So, you know, we want to get you on here to talk about combating misinformation and building trust in healthcare. So if you could tell us sort of, you know, how is the industry doing currently, like current state on that topic based on what you're seeing? I think this past year with the pandemic has kind of set us back and there's just been such a distrust for healthcare in general. And I think that part of it, unfortunately, had to do with, not to get to do too political, but with <laughs> our you know, previous administration and how healthcare was portrayed and kind of, you know, who the experts were that were, that, you know, how the, the information from experts were actually, what's actually being portrayed by the media. And yeah, I think we're trying to make up for it right now. But, you know, some of the same struggles with misinformation persists that we've always had to deal with and how we've dealt with it. I think, I think that there's a growing awareness that it's not just about presenting facts. It's also about being aware of people's emotions and, mm. and also just humanizing our profession so that we're not always seen as kind of these authority. They, we don't want to be positioned with like other authorities because we're, we're in this, mode of being very anti-authority right now. So Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I like what you just brought up about emotions. I know Jared and I, especially this season, our podcast, are talking a lot about, well, what are the emotions of patients that we need to innovate around? So it's not always just their you know, expressed clinical need or physical need. And so curious if you could speak a little bit more to that. And you know, maybe one anecdote I would share is I've noticed as you know, the medical world becomes more authoritative, um, it seems like there's more and more pushback from the populace or especially around key key subsets of the population who aren't necessarily open to listening to authority. And so curious if you have any thoughts on that. We've always had a reputation for being unapproachable and distant, positioning ourselves a little bit better to be approachable and you know, making sure that we're human just like everybody else, I think is important. I mean, it might sound really corny, but it is really important. And I mean, we see this translate from the clinical setting too. When we think about patient experience within the hospital, you know, if patients don't feel good about their experience, they're less likely to follow through and and sure, sure. develop a good relationship with us as clinicians. Sure. Well, I, it reminds me of Malcolm Gladwell in his book Outliers talks about is about how is it physicians who at least smile or pay attention to their patient by looking at them are way less likely to be sued. Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Interesting. <laughs> These are things that we just need to pay more attention to, and we're not always taught. But hopefully, we're moving in that direction. Sure. So on that specific topic around taught, do you feel like medical professionals are adequately trained? You know, do health systems offer you guys the tools to better understand 
call it maybe the emotional needs of patients when they come in the door? I think that, you know, when I was in medical school, which was already like a while back, (laughs) I think that there was already at that time, it was kind of a new thing. And, And I think that that was good to see that introduced around that time and greater attention paid toward, you know, how exactly we're communicating with our patients and, you know, being mindful of our patient's emotional state. But I think that now we're also, you know, there's even greater awareness about other things like inequities and, you know, disparities among patients and being aware of all the social determinants of health. And so there's just so much more to think about. And I think that medical school curricula just has to kind of adapt with it. Sure. You know, I, so I sit on sort of the strategy side of a healthcare organization. I hear about all the things we want our clinical people to be mindful of, pay attention of. And I'm like, there's no way, there's no way they can do it all and try to actually take care of patients, what they're trained to do. So I definitely think, you know, down the road, as we think about how can we innovate, and that's the next question we'll get into, I certainly think education is going to be a a key piece, both for clinical people and even administrative people like myself. I think there's a new type of learning that needs to be out there that's going to help um, health systems deliver the value that they, they want to and claim to deliver. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that there's an infinite number of things that we should know. And, you know, it's always limited by either time or money. I'm hoping that we can kind of reprioritize some of these things and hopefully, yeah, hopefully we'll see a shift in the future. Mm -hmm. I like that. So getting back then to sort of our topic around combating misinformation, Mm -hmm. what are some innovative ways that either you or, you know, folks in your network or organizations that you're aware of are doing to combat uh, misinformation? Well, I feel like since the last time we spoke that apps like TikTok really blew up. And I think it's provided us, I mean, we rely on these social media platforms in some ways to deliver the health messaging. And each platform kind of allows us to do it in a different way. You know, sure. So with TikTok, there's humor and there's you know uh, skits and all kinds of creative ways that you can go about presenting health information, accurate health information. So it's kind of like a, not a defensive way of presenting or combating misinformation. Although you are able to do that, you can still like duet certain other clips that people are putting on and debunk things that way. But, you know, I think like Clubhouse is yet another forum where we can, you know, be on there, participate in these discussions, step in and provide insight from our perspective. And so I'm really glad to see that there are a lot of health professionals who have, you know, very proactively jumped on the app to participate in these conversations, which aren't always easy because, you know, you're going up against people who are very skeptical of Western medicine. And yeah, so I think that it's just yet another format for us to do that. I know for me personally, I would like all medical information to be communicated through memes. I would be <laughs> super responsive to that. I know. I could be better at memes myself, but I yeah, know some people who do it do them very, very, yeah, very brilliant. Well. They just strike the heart and the mind. Question for you, Austin. So I know, you know, especially amongst the older cohort here where I work, eyes roll when you know people see posts that I put out or you know, they talk about my own social media use. So curious. What is your colleagues, you know, both your physician colleagues and other, how have they reacted to the work that you're doing on, whether it's TikTok or now Clubhouse or Instagram and wherever you're at? Is it an eye roll or is it, wow, this is awesome. We want to do it too. Or a little bit of both. It was a giant eye roll at first. You know, honestly, with every single platform I've gotten on, I've been met with 
a bunch of eye rolls at the very beginning, and then people just are more receptive to it later. And and interestingly, I think Clubhouse is a little different. I think people are recognizing that the eye rolls phase just, you know, you'd rather be an early adopter than not. But when I started on Twitter, at least professionally, you know, I was using Twitter for a while personally, but my professional account, when I started, I was probably one of the first three to five gastroenterologists on there. And my colleagues, everyone was making fun of me, thinking it was a total waste of time. And if you look at the landscape now, there are hundreds of gastroenterologists on there. And similarly, on Instagram, people didn't understand what I was doing on there. But I could see that other people outside of my field were, you know, they were like-minded people like myself. And and that kept me going in some ways. But I was met with like, yeah, again, ridicule and skepticism. And then when TikTok came along, that was a huge dose of eye rolling. <laughs> oh. Yeah, people, I think, especially with that format, there was just a lot of, you know, it, it just lends itself to to ridicule in some ways. So I love it. I love yeah. it though, because like TikTok is so approachable. It's funny. It takes complex information, makes it, you know, easy to digest. And frankly, it's used a lot by Generation Z, which is that next group of patients that we need to start to engage. And eventually they're going to have health issues and, you know, they need to know who we are. And the people who criticized me for being on or criticized me for being on there or made fun of me for being on there eventually find their way onto these apps. So I've learned that over and over. So. In there. Yeah. Yeah. Jared, what, what are you thinking? Well, uh, I'm curious, like what, what's been the biggest uh, TikTok moment so far? Like, well, what's been the, either the, the most surprising or just the biggest reaction you've had so far? I mean, I've had multiple videos go somewhat viral, like, you know, over a million views. I think my biggest video has like over 3 million views and I've had several like over a million. But um, so those are always like, it's always fun to go through that. But um, I think what's most rewarding is honestly meeting people off of the app. I mean, I think that goes for any social media platform. And interestingly, because of the attention, I think on healthcare and over the past year, I've been able to meet some people who I've, watched or listened to on the internet for years and years. So when some of these people started following me and we were able to have a conversation, I think that that was, yeah, those are pretty cool moments. What about uh, the the flip side of it? So the other thing that's happened in the world is that, I don't know the best way to put it, the wokeness of, of of our nation and society, for lack of a better way of describing it. So authoring social media and being the high profile person you are really representing a new way of communicating, like we were just saying, like health information with memes and videos, but representing an entirely new way of communicating. It is different than it was a year ago to be able to do that and be aware of how it's coming across. I I generally want to commend you for the way you do that because you can tell how much thought you put into it and how aware you are of how it comes across and what you're really trying to do with it at the core. So my other question would be like, what's been the most real moment for you in the last year where it's like, like uh, you're known to be very transparent and say, today was a tough day. Like I made some tough calls with my patients and I don't, you know, I want to say, I know for sure they were the right calls, but I'm today. I wasn't sure, you know, like just that level of transparency is not, uh, has not historically been the norm in the medical community. So what has been the most real moment for you in the last year? Well, thanks for recognizing that because I feel like, yeah, I think I've learned sometimes the hard way, you know, from people's feedback on how to create some of this content. And on that, you know, same token, 
there was a, with all the wokeness, you know, some of it is warranted and some of it I think is a little overdone, but there was a, I think one of the most impactful moments was there was a TikTok that I made about calorie content in different foods. And many, many people found it triggering in the comments. And these were people who said that, you know, they had a history of eating disorders and this was not the type Mm. of content they wanted to see. But at the same time, like it also made me reflect and I consulted with professional colleagues of mine, dietitians, like, what am I doing wrong? Am I missing something? Is there some guideline that I am not aware of? And really what it comes down to is that not all content on the internet is meant for everybody. And you know what I was putting out there was meant for a certain group of people and not necessarily those with you know a history of eating disorders. And, and that taught me like a lesson of, you know, again, being more aware of what I was putting out there and potential triggers, but also understanding that like, well, if there is something that I want to talk about that I want to get out to a certain group of people that I can't please everyone, and maybe I put a disclaimer, maybe I do something else to just at least acknowledge that I know that this potentially triggering for some. That was a definitely a moment that caught me off guard. And for several days, I, I felt a little bit you know uneasy about that. Thanks for sharing that. That's the type of transparency we, we truly value. We need more of it. Like, we need Absolutely. more docs being, being willing. You, man, you're putting yourself out there every day. And, and we know what, you know, to some degree, what that takes in your content. And, and we appreciate you kind of, it feels like you're bringing us all on this journey with you. And, and we really Thank appreciate you. that. And it, it, it kind of leads us to, to where to go from here in terms of a, a call to action for our listeners. We, we like to uh, at least extend an, an invitation to them as we, kind of dive into things that uh, we start really macro and yeah, and and then we get really in the weeds here. So where do we go from here? Where, where do we, uh, I guess if you were uh, the way Tim Ferriss likes to put on, on his show is like, Hey, if you had a billboard, you could put it somewhere and everybody in the world saw it. Like, what would you say? Like, what would be the thing you'd want people to know about? So that's what I'd uh, uh, ask you. Like, what, what do you want uh, uh, the healthcare industry to know? Well, I think it depends because as a healthcare consumer, I think that, just be aware that take everything that you read on the internet with a giant grain of salt and double and triple check who you're trusting online and whether or not they're citing their sources and consult you know experts in person who you know, your own providers, etc. But for people who are out there in healthcare working in healthcare, I think the other thing is that this is a rapidly evolving area and there's some people on there on social media who do it well. There are people who are superbly like popular, but not necessarily doing it well. And just a reminder that popularity is not credibility. Ooh, that's um, a good one. So, yeah, I say that over and over everywhere. That's really good. I feel like people who have, there are people who have millions and millions of followers yeah. and are look like doctors, sometimes they're yeah. not, and um, are dressed like doctors or nurses, um, but are not, and are saying all sorts of things that kind of make you wonder if they are. And I think it's really problematic. And some of it is not within our control because they're not necessarily actually working in healthcare. You know, It's really tricky. I think that it's a constant balance between you know, freedom of expression, right? And censorship. And, you know, I don't think that any of these social media platforms are interested in censoring anyone, that they want to allow people to express themselves as, you know, as much as they can. I also encourage that too. I, I mean, I'm open to opinions and different opinions that I can learn from as well. But to a certain extent, like when it comes to health and science, 
it's just a little, you know, trickier. <laughs> yeah. So, but I think this is just a, there's a lot, a greater underlying issue. I don't think social media is the only solution. Mm -hmm. I think there also has to be like major improvements made to our education system and, you know, like, and just society yeah. in general. And so this is just one piece of the puzzle. We appreciate all that you do there, Austin. Stay safe, stay well, and, and uh, all the best to you and everything you're doing. Thanks for having me. Wow, thanks so much to Zane and Austin, and thank you for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, please, this is so important. Please subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Healthcare App is a member of the Shift.Health Content Network. You want some provocative thinking? Go check out the other shows we have there. There are 26 podcasts and video series about shifting the way the healthcare is experienced. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks, and that's a wrap. 